so two lists, one of which is ten items long, one of which is twelve items long. And no, we're they're both twelve. <laughs> Everything's twelve in this podcast, Jake. <laughs> because of the rule of twelve. Because of the rule of twelve. Also, Kyle has a couple extras, so it's like twelve plus three. <laughs> We are not good with branding numbers in this podcast. <laughs> like, that is our Achilles heel. <laughs> the numbers are more than what they originally appear. Did we preview this as the top ten mistakes? I th- I threatened to have a top ten of just Vagabond rules, but uh, <laughs> as we'll see, the Vagabond is well represented in these two lists. I think for a bonus episode, we should do the top ten mistakes of making this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Twelve, Jake. <laughs> mistake one. Well, that's that's the first mistake. This, this, this list is the incorrect number. Um, all right. So today's episode has top twelve's rules mistakes, followed by extra stuff I'm curious about. No, this is the wrong document, right? I'm looking at that's, the old one. That, you are correct. That is the wrong document. Another good rule mistake is number two. Yeah, have two scripts, both named <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> they are literally named the same thing. Um, no, I put my stuff down at the very bottom. That's It's called stu- Stuff Kyle Would Advocate For. Great. So this <laughs> script now has the 10, and then in parentheses, 12 most misplayed rules. Uh, and they're labeled in right. for, for... Twice. <laughs> what do you mean twice? <laughs> well, we've broken down two lists of 12 into... T- it, there's a forgettable list of rules, 12 forgettable rules, mm-hmm. and 12 rules misconceptions. Okay, so the 10 in this label is a, is a mistake. Well, it's just kind of fun. Like, instead of having a top 10, we have a top 12. <laughs> but you need to 12. point it out by putting 10 in there to show it's different. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And then we have a list of three things Kyle would advocate for. <laughs> he wants to advocate that these rules get on the list. Um and we need to cover them all. That these, oh, talk. he's advocating that they get added to this list, but the the editors and producers said no. Uh, we didn't say no. I think we're just going to have 27 things we end up discussing. <laughs> <laughs> it's the rule of 27. <laughs> okay. That's nine three times, and nine is three three no! times. <laughs> <laughs> What's that the opposite of? It's like not a square root. It's a exponent. Exponent? Yeah, exponent. Right? Three to the third power yeah. is 27. Not a former opponent, a form? but an exponent. <laughs> what I can do is I can just make the title a variable. The top X misplayed rules. <laughs> it's probably safe. I think it'd be funny to name it the top 10 or 12, and then we just like totally egregiously blow past that like immediately. Yeah, but don't we have to start at the <laughs> highest number, right? So like we have to pick a number. Yes, yes. Yeah, right. I did I did care about the order here. Ooh. I really did think what is the one you forget the most and the one that is uh, yeah. the most me- misconceived. Well, so okay, yes. so you were you were saying before we started recording that uh you owe a lot of credit to Garrick S, of course, uh, who's on our Discord yeah. and uh, shared a lot of the misplayed rules when you asked our community about them. We mentioned Garrick right. on the show before. He's also really big in the Woodland Warriors Discord and has a great Twitch mm-hmm. channel, which features a lot of root content and board game content. But like, how did you how did you iron it out? And really, he asked a good follow up question, which was like, 
is this the most misplayed rules when people first begin or is it the most misplayed rules when people have been playing for a while and they still aren't getting a certain concept? Yeah, I, I was really thinking about this, about the best way to go over all the tricky rules of Root. And we've kind of broken them down into two categories here. We have the forgettable rules, the rules that are just like even an experienced player after playing many times and playing these rules correctly will just forget to check these kinds of things, because there's so many rules of root. So these ones often get misplayed on accident, I mm-hmm. would say, is is what the forgettable list is. And then the misconceptions, I would say, are like uh, people assume a faction works a certain way or a rule plays out in a certain way, but it, uh, it, it, it doesn't. <laughs> um, so we have, uh, I think those are probably geared a little bit more at newer players, though you'd be surprised how many games you can play of Root and not get some of these correct. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, we're, we're going to sprinkle a few um, a few higher level misconceptions in as well, um, just because even if you're very familiar with Root, there's some times when you reach a, uh, a moment in the game and you just don't know what to do or like you think that it has to be a certain way, but something in the rules will contravene whatever it is <laughs> we're trying and, to like, do. And for those of you who think that like this is just going to be us lawyering up and like looking at the exact text of things, that's partly true, but it's also very helpful for learning this game and getting better at it is knowing these tricks that you might have up your sleeve that you didn't think those, you know, those proverbial doors were open to you. Um, or maybe you've been going through a door that shouldn't be open. <laughs> uh, well, then let's just dive into it. Uh, should we start with the forgettable list? Yeah, yeah, I think I think we should here. Um, so here we go. Number 12. <laughs> um, I would say the, the 12th most forgettable thing in Root <laughs> is to actually take your item tokens when you craft an item. Hashtag item gate. Hashtag item gate. I've seen this happen in many games where you, d- you, know, you say, I craft a bag and you get your point, but you don't take that little bag token. And this often happens in games without the Vagabond. I think people just think like, whatever, it just usually sits there. I don't even use it for the rest of the game. But it is a, a, a limited component. And therefore, if you don't take that bag and then two other people think there are bags available and craft them, all of a sudden there's more points in this game than there should be. It all breaks down because of that bag. <laughs> <laughs> The point being, it's a closed economy, right? There's not unlimited bags, so there's, but there are multiple uh, cards that craft bags, right? And uh, um, a minor one in this is you don't put that card that you crafted in your crafted improvements thing. This is more of like a tabletop simulator uh, problem because there is like a spot called crafted improvements, which you put your crafted cards in, mm-hmm. and so people think I craft the bag, so I put it in that area, but. Uh, it goes to the discard pile because it's not an improvement so much as like a item. Correct. Yeah. And to follow up on that, like once you craft the final bag and there's no bags left that, that card sticks around, like it still goes into the discard pile and everything like that. Like everything functions normally. You don't ever have to like get rid of a card because there's no more of that item. Right. And that's important because as we learned in our component episode, like there's only so many of each suit and the, those items can be tied to suits. So removing them from the deck could throw out the balance of the game. Yeah. What's Number item gate, though? 11. Hold on. Hold on. What's item gate? <laughs> is this a controversial thing? Item gate. Yeah, I think honestly it might not have even actually happened, but every time uh, you're watching a competitive game of Rue on stream and someone forgets to take the item, the chat freaks out and is like, hey, he didn't get that T, hashtag item gate. Okay, like, got it. Um, 
it almost happened in a game where uh, uh, people were streaming it, but they were saying we're not going to weigh in on rules stuff, and it it mm. caused quite a fervor. But I believe mm. the players ended up catching it before it mattered. Gosh, root drama is the juiciest drama. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh, there was there was much ado. I think it was about a crossbow. Was it a crossbow that someone didn't take? It could have been. Yeah. Ugh. And there's only one of those. I felt like so. it happened multiple times in that game. Yeah. All right. Number, Number 11. 11. <laughs> Sorry, let's let's not alternate. You go for it, Sam. <laughs> no, I think Jake should do the numbers. He's got the low voice. <laughs> Number 11. Um, this one is a personal one that I've mistakenly done so many times because I'm a big Lizard Cult fan. The Lizard Cult can only craft using the Outcast suit. I have had several games where I've won as the Lizards casually, and then realized that on my first turn, I crafted not using the outcast suit on a crafted improvement <laughs> to help me win the game. And those are things I don't disclose to my friends. But um, the, Hey, wait uh, a minute. <laughs> yeah, Kyle, you were definitely in that game. Uh, but yeah, lizards can only craft using the outcast suit. Uh, so that means like uh, cards like soup kitchens, which require one mouse, one fox, and one rabbit to craft, are impossible for the lizard cult to craft because they can only craft in the one outcast suit. I can't believe you would you would cheat in a game, Sam. <laughs> I didn't know I did it, but when I found out I did, I was like, whatever. It's to be hard. honest, I feel like a lot of playing Root for the first like 20 games is <laughs> cheating, but not realizing that that's what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. It's definitely hard to like fess up to an accident like that too after the game is well over and you're like, ooh, Everything was built on a lie. <laughs> yeah. It's my first turn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, one of my, I would say like my third or fourth games of Twilight Imperium, I took Mechatol Rex uh, uh, like in round two when I didn't have the move to get there. I, mis I misread Carrier and Cruiser's movement value, and that defined the game. And like nine hours later, I was like, yeah, how did I get there in round two? And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> okay, yeah, well, that's that's something I live with, and I tell everybody six months later, and we all laugh about it, but I'm not going to tell them in hour nine when we're all at each other's throats. Yeah, that's that's sure. a tough that's a tough thing to do. But yes, it is a it's a forgettable rule, and if you if you mistake it, it's it's okay, it happens. But uh, now you know, only in the outcast suit may you craft as the lizard cult. Absolutely. Number ten. This one is about uh, a couple map specifics here, but uh, I, the, the limitation is the same. When using the ferry on the lake map or opening a path in the mountain map, you can only do this once per turn. I've seen a lot of uh, factions that are very move happy, uh, try to exploit the ferry for drawing multiple cards, um, but you can't do that. And you can't even move without taking the card. You can only use the ferry once per turn. Yeah. And uh, same thing with opening pathways. Uh, wouldn't the cats love to open more than one per turn, but you can't. It's only one per turn. Yeah, I, th I've definitely tried to take the fairy more than once on the same turn. And I've even been like, oh, right. Like, I only draw the card once. Right. But I can still take the boat. Like, it's just the boat there. Like, my guys <laughs> still know how to row it or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Thematically, I guess the ferry just takes a long time to get there. Maybe, yeah. Maybe yeah. it takes a full day. The cats are they're sitting on the edge of the lake, and they look as like the birds are just moving from one end of the lake 
to the other in the same afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the the boatman gets tired. I think that's probably the yeah the best <laughs> lore explanation. <laughs> the the boat bore or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's not an otter. It's got to be something way dorkier, like a turtle. Something that's really slow. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Come on, guys. We'll get there in a bit. <laughs> Hopefully by the time the sun goes down. <laughs> uh, number nueve. Oh, sorry. Numero nueve. That's right, baby. We're talking about the Woodland Alliance. Now, this is a uh, key rule that I think is very forgettable um, because usually it doesn't come into play. It, uh, well, at least for me, it doesn't. I don't play a lot of Woodland Alliance. Kyle? How do you interact with the supporter stack limit of five when you don't have a base down? Oh, man, this one is so forgettable. Um, yeah. It's so easy to overlook this. But essentially, before you get that first base down as the Woodland Alliance, you can have a maximum of five supporters. And the, the funny thing about this rule is it actually does impact the way you play the early game as the Woodland Alliance rather heavily in some cases. Mm-hmm. And it also affects how other factions interact with you because, you know, the the Eerie, for instance, if you're already at your cap of five supporters, will have no trepidation about just walking over sympathy, battling sympathy. It doesn't matter because you're not going to get any more advantage. I hate this rule. I get hating this rule. It feels very frustrating as the Within Alliance player because you're like, oh, man, everyone's just trampling on all my sympathy and I'm not getting any benefit from this. But it basically exists just to get that first base up and online. And then I guess you can store more supporters once you have a base. Like, more people will get on board. Yeah, that makes some thematic sense. I think the real kicker with this rule is when you're at your limit of five supporters, you don't have a base down, and then somebody would give you a card, you don't even get to, like, choose which ones you want. It goes straight to the discard. So yeah. you can't even like you can't even make it a better five cards. It's the first five cards you get are the ones you got to use. I understand it like thematically actually. It's like you can't like the grassroots campaign needs a hall to meet in, right? You got to have your meetings, okay? <laughs> so if you don't have one, you can't organize. We can only fit so many people in Ma's basement. <laughs> <laughs> And Ma works for the Eerie, so they don't let us down there very often. <laughs> but, like, man, when you are hamstrung as the Woodland Alliance, it's so hard to climb out of it because that's what you need is you need seven supporters to revolt in two places or whatever, and it's so nigh impossible to do it. I feel like the Woodland Alliance are also, the, because of this rule almost, are one of the easiest factions to shut down, right? And we say that because they don't even start going. They they have to they <laughs> they need momentum and like this is a momentum cap. Right. Yeah. And it, yeah, it's it's very possible to aggressively shut down the Within Alliance in the mid game if they don't have a base. Mm-hmm, like the, mm-hmm. the as each round happens, it gets easier and easier to just totally put out the fire yeah. every turn. I guess the segment the segment isn't uh, rules we hate. It's rules we mistook. So I will say I have made this mistake because I, yeah. I wanted it to not be true. I didn't realize it was true. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also we got to think about what the point of this rule is. And I think it is that so the Woodland Alliance 
can like not win the game without ever revolting. Because I honestly believe they could probably just spread sympathy having never put a base down if people kept giving them cards. Yeah. Isn't it also that the fact that like if they had like 10 cards, they could revolt three times or something because they don't have a base cap or whatever that is like i mean they can only do one base per clearing, per clearing so yeah they could do a th- not per turn three revolts right. but i think that's what it is is that let to not let them do a 20 point turn or something insane right because they blow if they blow up these really uh established clearings right they just happen to a 15 point turn <laughs> <laughs> yeah the supporter cap is so easy to forget and i want to forget it um <laughs> yeah. but it unfortunately exists. I mean, I think it's a nice, yeah, like you guys said, I think it's an, a necessary um, break to put mm-hmm. on on the Within Alliance in the early game. Because if you think about it, five supporters, five supporters means you can, if you have no sympathy on the board and say that there's no martial law anywhere, you can spread sympathy to three clearings for one supporter each and then to one more clearing for two supporters. Right, so that's the max. If everything is going great, uh, and the suits are working, yeah, the out suits and all really got to work out there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's the the cap means that you can't spread more than four times without a base. Also, like your the the support has to be adjacent, which is also a cat. Like, I mean, I I feel like that's not a rule that a lot of uh, Woodland Alliance players miss, but it's a it's a rule as a non Woodland Alliance player. I have missed before because I'm like scared that they'll come over here without realizing, oh, they're on the other side of the forest. They can't do anything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there's a weird thing with that that we'll get into in our misconceptions list as well. Ooh, a preview. But meanwhile, number eight. All right, all you cat players, we're coming after you. Actually, this is going to help you cats players because (laughs) uh, this rule, uh, often we forget that enemy pizzas cannot be placed in the clearing with the keep. All right. Now, there's a couple parts of this that are tricky. Uh, One part is this includes setup. So if you are a Marquise de Cat player that sets up first, like you would in classic setup, or just uh, you set up early in advanced setup, uh, that means like a Crows player that can choose uh, one of each suited clearing to put a guy in. You can't put uh, uh, a piece in the clearing with the keep. That's its superpower. Um, as But uh, the flip side to this is it can be moved into. I think new players think that, oh, we can't even touch that clearing. Mm-hmm. But you can. You can move in. You can battle. You can even remove the keep. And then this power doesn't exist. But a lizard cult can't you know recruit in there or convert in there. Um, it's a protected clearing for certain game effects, ones that apply to placing pieces. Yeah, this is so crucial. This really impacts the Within Alliance. This really, I mean, you can't build any buildings. Uh, opponents can't build any buildings in that clearing. It is just a safe place for a Cats player to be. Um, that being said, you can move pieces into that clearing. So any type of pieces that move. Root rules are very literal, this is kind of the main point. One of the main points that we want to stress in this uh, rules pod episode is that ru- the rules and root are extremely literal. Mm-hmm. You know, if something says it's placed somewhere, then it's being placed and uh, the keep would interact with that. But if something says it moves or whatever, you just got to like look for those specific terms. And Yeah. And to be clear, that's really good game design. Like that's smart to be very literal and to have very specific terms for things. Cause it makes it clear and like definable 
for people, right? Because some rules need clarification, but if you have literal definitions of each word, <laughs> like then you don't need much clarification. It should be in the codex in some way. Yeah, uh, and the rules to root can be very easily accessed through Syria's Woodland Companion that I've literally hyperlinked our entire list of rules so that we can look them up in the law just in case we have questions. Uh, if you guys are having rules questions in your game, you should be downloading Syria's The Woodland Companion, uh, like Law of Root handy app thing. I've been using it for years, and it's so, so good. Bookmark it immediately. Uh, yeah. It's like a, a web, a standalone like website type of thing. Yeah. Uh, but Syria is a programmer slash web developer slash um, root community legend. Yeah. Uh, who's been just like cre creating tools for people who play root for years. Um, it, just a, a, a person who has done so much uh, under the radar legwork to make being part of the root community so much fun and so much easier. So shout out to Syria. Thanks. Absolutely. Also, their work on the Root RPG stuff is going to be insane. All right. Anyway. Ooh, preview. Nice. Number seven. All right. Riverfolk Company. A confusing faction with some weird rules things that will uh, they'll show up elsewhere on these lists. Um, but uh, of note, purchasing the services of the Riverfolk is limited to one purchase plus one additional purchase per trade post, you have pieces in that clearing <laughs> list. Ugh, this is so hard. It's difficult. It's really yeah, difficult. It? So basically, you have to be in clearings with trade posts to do additional services. You can buy from the otters as many – you can buy from the otters one time plus a time for each trading post that you have access to by having pieces in that same clearing. Right, exactly, Jake. The, this is a big thing when it comes to the end game. Uh, Garrick notes that th this rule is often the most, like, people get a little excited and like, oh, wait, hold on. If I buy the mercenaries and I buy that card, then I'll rule the pass and I'll be able to do this. And they don't look. Are they in a clearing with a trade post? And that's something you can't rectify because you have to buy other services at the beginning of your turn. You're either in clearings with trade posts or you're not. Actually, that reminds me of a question that I'm not sure if you guys can answer. Uh, I feel like when we played our um, game with the Marauder expansion, we had a couple of things occur at the beginning of Birdsong. Is there an, a way to determine? Because one of those is buying from the otters, right? And I feel like there was another effect of some sort. I can't remember off the top of my head what like it was. Like false orders but, or... Sure. Swap oh, maybe. Uh, maybe. Yeah. Okay. So those both happen, quote unquote, at the the beginning of Burst. Yes. Is it the player's prerogative to choose the order? Yeah. So this is one of those kind of uh, understood rules of root that if multiple things are happening in the same timing window, such as mm -hmm. the beginning of Birdsong, if there's multiple things happening in that window, then the active player, so whoever's turn it is, they get to choose what order those things happen in. So normally... Purchasing services from the river folk is the only thing that's happening at the beginning of Birdsong on a given player's turn. But right. if there's multiple things that can happen, it's up to that player to or organize how and in what order that, that happens. And usually, I think especially a lot of the cards in E&P say stuff like once in Birdsong. And so that timing is basically up to you. But there are a couple 
uh, effects that trigger at the beginning of phases. And like Kyle said, uh, the active player gets to choose. Great. Okay. Number six. Oh, we're back, cats. And this one you're not going to like. The Marquise de Cat has a special limitation with their wood. Now, we just did our cat's guide, so you guys heard all about this. I won't go too much in depth with it. But I often see cats forget about ruling the clearings that they need to to build in a certain location. Uh, Often players will be purposefully cutting off these supply lines, and cats haven't seen the whole picture of what has happened to them. They try to spend the wood, and they go, no, you can't build a recruiter there. Where is the wood going? To be clear, you're talking about how when to build. It's not just that you need to rule the clearing that you are building in. Is you need to rule each clearing that leads in a pathway from the wood to where you are building, right? That is correct. People get tunnel vision and focus on the clearing with the empty building slot that they want to build in. Yeah. And it can be really easy to think like, oh, if I rule that, then I could build there. But you got to really see the larger the larger picture of those connected clearings that you rule. Absolutely. Um, even, even very experienced players will overlook um, a key clearing that they no longer rule during their turn as the Marquise. I mean, it's hard sometimes at a glance to determine rule. Like, that's not an intuitive thing, right? I think I mentioned that last week. But, like, just scanning the table really quickly doesn't always tell you the situation. Because it's not – I mean, it is as simple as the most pieces. But, like, it's more complex than that. It's the most pieces plus a lot of variables, right? Right. Assuming the eerie aren't in the game. Like, there's a lot of things (laughs) that will change things, right? Right. right. Absolutely. And this actually brings us right into number five. The movement rule, all right? Obviously, uh, when you're moving, you need to either rule the clearing you're coming from or moving to, right? And this, just like the cat's uh, wood traveling, to me, is just a rule that people play right 95% of the time and then in the heat of the moment end up miss missing that thing. Yeah. A lot of these, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, forgettable rules are just little checks along the way and you have so much to think about on your turn that you've forgotten to check for the movement rule um i I say this happens even in high level play probably every third game somebody goes wait how are you moving there (laughs) and then somebody's like oh no you know that's the best way to ask that that question too because that person knows the answer they know that they thought they could move there but they're like wait how are you moving there (laughs) truthfully as many times as you're helping somebody out by like correcting them on a rules thing you're wrong that many times as well i feel like i am i'm always like how are you doing that and they're like i crafted this card that lets me do that i'm like oh right sorry the best way i've taught myself this is by playing the digital version because it doesn't allow you to make this mistake so you you know you make mistakes in the planning phase of it and then you're like okay now i know to really look for this when i'm figuring out where i'm going Mm -hmm. yeah and uh this this matters a lot when you're playing as the eerie dynasties and so yeah again my my recommendation is if, if you're at all uh if you find that you're getting a little frustrated during games with kind of remembering the move rule and how it works and where you're allowed to go and, and not play as the eerie dynasties a couple of times in a row and just like practice, um, you know, you know, picturing the way that those movement chains can work. Remember though, that you, you tie, you, you rule in ties with the eerie, which makes it easier to move. 
But if you're going to another faction, you're going to have to remember that you got to have more warriors than them. Yeah, and also adding to the confusion over this is there are several factions who that who this doesn't apply to straight up, like the Corvids and the Vagabond, right. um, and the River Folk along the river, which is something that I frequently forget. So yeah. as many as many th- in as many ways as the movement rule restricts your movement. There are just as many examples of factions that can get around. And it. remember, if you're playing one of those factions that gets around it, this movement rule is still very important to keep in mind because it it limits your opponent's mobility, right? Like, that's something you want to be able to keep a track of, especially as Corvids, where you're worried about where your plots might get um, overturned or what's the, what's the word? Uh, revealed? Exposed. Exposed. Thank you. Uh, so knowing when they have an opportunity to go get that is very important. Number four. Uh, <clears throat> that was more Randy Savage. Sorry. Number four. <laughs> All right. This one isn't as much of a like you know a forgettable rule as it is just people being forgetful. And this happens in route mostly with the Riverfolk Company and the Underground Duchy having too many things to do on their turn and losing track. Often I will see a Riverfolk player. You know, just being like, I'm going to move here and battle twice. And it's like, hold on, sp- spend your funds, you know, or, or commit your funds. Make sure that you do everything in order because when they have so many choices, you can often lose track. Um, and this goes uh, almost double for the underground duchy. When you have that many ministers, what I like to do is flip your minister once you've used them. <laughs> and that oh. way you can keep track of how many you still have left. And obviously the... I think it's the mayor minister that allows you to take another action twice, can get extra confusing. The order of operations is very important for the molds. So do yourself a favor, take a minute, write down what you want to do, (laughs) and then try to execute it uh, because you can often lose track uh, when you're playing the underground duchy or the river folk of all the actions you can do. A specific example that I have seen uh, kind of done incorrectly or imprecisely is with uh, Brigadier uh, in the moles. So Brigadier says you can take two moves or two battles. Now, those two moves or two battles, they have to be sequential. You can't break them up. You can't spread them out across your other minister actions. It's got to be a move and then a move or a battle and then a battle. And if you're not keeping track of the things you've done already, it can be really easy to be like, oh, wait, was that my first move mm-hmm. or my second move? Mm-hmm. And uh, and get kind of in a muddle. So, uh, yeah, it really helps to kind of spend the thing as you're going to prevent confusion. I mean, I'm basic enough. I get this mistake with the cats because I have three actions and can't keep control of, like, what I would do, you know? Like, <laughs> especially when you get your bonus one. I'm like, ooh, 33% more things to do. <laughs> And I still lose track of it. <laughs> also, for those of you that are balking at like taking notes slash showing your work, you are playing the Riverfolk Company or the Underground Duchy. They have it's a bookkeeping faction. Like they have records. <laughs> they're running a business or they're running a bureaucracy. Like you're gonna have to be a note taker if you want to succeed with these factions. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Number three. Oh, Here we go, guys. The Woodland Alliance's infamous forgettable rule of martial law. Now, this one, this one is on leader games, I think. Because I think the the reason why this this rule is so forgettable is because it's very tiny and in the tiny corner of the player board. 
It should be next to where it says spread sympathy, probably. It's like down on the sympathy track, right, Kyle? And as a result, it's easy to forget that when you're spreading sympathy to a clearing where a player has three or more warriors, it costs an extra supporter. Now, this doesn't mean three warriors, period. It doesn't mean if Jake has a warrior and Kyle has a warrior and I have a warrior there that that creates martial law. It needs to be three from the same uh, player. Yes, exactly. It can't be three random warriors. It's got to be three from one faction. This is definitely the rule that you go, I do this, and then I do this, and then I score my points, and someone's like, hold on. <laughs> and you're like, what? What did I do? And they're like, martial law. And you're like, oh, nuts. <laughs> I can't even tell you guys how long it took me to, like, internalize martial law and, like, look for the three warrior stacks around the board. Mm-hmm. It takes so long, and I agree, Sam. This this is all in the layout. Wait, okay. So um, like, I want to I want to push back on this layout thing because like I'm looking at the board now, and I'm like, where is a better place to put it? Spread sympathy up in that bird song description already has a wall of text under it, right? And spread sympathy doesn't say spend a supporter; it says spend a number of supporters, which is like intentionally keeping it down to the sympathy track, right? So when you're looking to remove your tokens from the sympathy track on the bottom right of the board, I feel like that is where your eye would go. Now I, it is small. That's true. I can't defend that no it makes so much sense it makes so much sense but it, it makes it so that it's like once you're grabbing for that token then you're like checking about martial law and that's so true you like, should oh yeah it should be up the front of it it's right? always like surprising you that's in true. the moment it's also it doesn't exactly, apply yeah. once you start grabbing at the two level it applies always right so yeah always exactly yep totally and actually i've seen on woodland warriors uh the official leader game discord i've seen like fan redos of the woodland alliance board to make martial law in a better place uh (laughs) ultimately i think the the normal board is great and fine and perfect all hail leader games and root but I do, uh, I do think that the common misplay of this has to do with the board layout. On the TTS yeah. mod, I think we just need a separate board that's equally sized as the Woodland Alliance board that just has the martial law description on it. Yeah. In like <laughs> right. 64 font. I think that's true. I think that's totally true. Great. Number two. Here we go. Leader Games uh, helped us out this time, and we still forget this rule. I'm talking about the Riverfolk Company. They get a garrison, a warrior, when they put down a trade post. Now, the action is called trade post with a garrison. And yet, we forget to put the warrior there. I don't know if I did this for the first, like, three games I played the Otters. I just forgot every time when you put a trade post down, you also recruit a warrior there. I always forgot to put the warrior down. And I forgot to score points for the trade post. I was a mess with the, with the Riverfolk Company. I don't want points. I don't want any benefit. Yeah, like the that's like their best way to get warriors on the field too, right? Like most efficient. Yeah, it's yeah you get points. Yeah, it's definitely the most efficient. Yeah, all these top three rules actually, guys. Like I have like ingrained in me if I am playing a game and people are doing any of these three things, I am immediately checking for this rule to make sure we're playing it correctly. Just because I know how often these top three rules get misplayed, and oh, so every time I see a trade post, I'm like, hey, don't forget your warrior. You know, it's just ingrained in me at this. Yeah, you said that yeah. to me. So we've got martial law as number three. We've got uh, the Riverfolk Garrison is number two. What's our number one f- most forgotten rule about Root? Jake? Number one. 
The vagabond has to exhaust an item to aid, okay? <laughs> On the board, it says any. It has a little square of an item, and it says any, okay? You must exhaust an item to aid. You're thinking, I'm the vagabond. I'm giving you a card. That's the price I'm paying. No, it costs two things. You have to give them a card. You have to exhaust an item in order to aid. This is this is one of the most... This happens every game. <laughs> every game of Root, this happens. Does a Vagabond have to exhaust an item to do anything? Essentially, yeah. I think a lot of times players wait until after they've exchanged the card, retrieved the item, scored the point, and then they go back and exhaust whatever item they were going to to in order to aid and i feel my blood pressure rising when i see the sequence of stuff going on and the item hasn't been exhausted yet i'm just like are, are you gonna am i gonna have to remind you or they're gonna do it right uh, yeah they're totally gonna do it wait did they already do it did i just miss it oh my god now i don't even know what they've exhausted this turn so far it stresses yeah. me out so just do everyone a favor exhaust the item first <laughs> And then do yes. the rest of it. Let me tell you, listeners, this must be a frustrating thing because if you're getting Kyle Atchison's blood pressure up, like, that's a remarkable feat. This man has, like, a babbling <laughs> brook of a blood flow, right? He is a very <laughs> calm man. So please be mindful of exhausting your items when aiding. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so true. I, I'm always – and then they're like, oh, wait, I have to exhaust nine for eight. Actually, I would say that this rule is the number one rule because it's not only easy to forget to do for an experienced player, but I feel like new players don't know that you have to do it. So for me, this is almost the top one of both well. lists. If you carry nothing else with you, <laughs> exhaust the item for aiding, for the love of God. And if you get a tattoo <laughs> that says that, do send it in, please. <laughs> we'll give you a milkshake. <laughs> Don't promise that. I don't have that kind of money. Uh, all right. List number two. Misconceptions. Oh, yes. This is my favorite list. I love this list. All right, Kyle, how about you? You, Jake will do the numbers. You do the things for, for second list here. Absolutely. Absolutely. So go ahead, everybody. Flip the LP. We're on to side number. <laughs> we're on to side B, B here. <laughs> side number B. <laughs> number 12. Although if there's 12 rules, there's kind of like 12 tracks on an album. So this is a double album, you guys. All right. Misconceptions. Here we go. This is something that just people in general tend to misplay, all right? It's uh, it's dominance cards. Yeah. Um, and this is actually kind of a combination of stuff that people forget and stuff that people kind of, like, grok incorrectly. So, what happens when you discard a dominance card? It goes to its own little special area uh, over to the side and, and becomes kind of, like, publicly accessible, mm -hmm. all right? Specifically, though, when you, in order to like pick up that dominance card from its public side area, you've got to spend a matching card uh, or a bird card during daylight to pick it up. All right. You can spend that dominance card for its suit. So you can spend the fox dominance card as just a fox suited card. The other thing to note is when, uh, when the lizards are involved and somebody discards a dominance card, most often the lizards, because they've been uh, swapping the dominance, which we'll talk about in a second. The dominance card doesn't go to its special area. It first goes to Lost Souls. Mm -hmm. All right? And from there, it will then hit the discard pile, go to its special area. 
So th- those are that's kind of the broad outline of things that I see people kind of misconceiving about dominance. Kyle, I've got a question. Yeah, go ahead, Sam. Uh, I know you need 10 points in order to start a dominance victory, right? You need to have at least 10 points in order to change your win condition. Do yeah. I need 10 points to just pick up the card? No, no, no. You can pick up the card as long as it's available in that special area. Right. Very good distinction. That was me acting. Whoa. What? Wait, that I'm wasn't a real it, question. Sam, I feel like you're better at <laughs> I feel like you're better at simply explaining what people are misconceiving and I'm better at riffing on it. So I think you just pass the baton back to you for these other <laughs> okay, 11. No worries. I wrote these, so that makes sense. <laughs> no, if if Sam, I don't I'm, know if I'm we can get more it. acting. I don't know. Maybe it is better that you do it, Kyle, cuz if we're getting all these riveting scenes. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> All right, let's get into Dom swapping just for a sec here, okay? This is a thing that only really pertains to the Lizard Cult and the Underground Duchy, um, and I'll tell you why. All right, uh, Dom swapping is when you uh, basically you discard a bird card to pick up a suited dominance card. This is because uh, both the Lizards and the Underground Duchy have a better use for suited cards than they do bird cards. Because when they reveal cards, at the end of their turn, if they're birds, they get discarded. At least that's the case with the molds. The lizards just have a totally different use for bird cards. So the point is, you can make your hand a little bit more efficient by, uh, in daylight, discarding a bird card to pick up one of the suited dominance cards. Or in the lizard's case, they might discard a suited card to pick up a suited dominance card just to help uh, you know, uh, weight the outcast suit in their favor. Yeah, exactly. This is a strategy that when I first came across it totally blew my mind because I'd never thought about using a dominance card for anything other than its alternate win condition. Um, but we see that this like weird little mechanic in the game can actually be sort of exploited for uh, interesting strategic outcomes. Yes, and then it's really interesting to see other players react to it and dom swap themselves just to deny the lizards or moles player the opportunity for them to do it so and and lastly i've also seen where uh, a player has gotten themselves into a position to go for a dominance victory the alternate win condition <laughs> uh you can kind of see it from a mile away like they're kind of stocking up warriors on a certain clearing um and then the turn before they go for the dominance victory somebody else at the table swaps out for the dominance <laughs> that they were going to go for just to keep it out of their hand it's oh, uh, brutal yeah it's a dirty play but i love it uh, kyle <laughs> we played a game not too long ago where i was cats and it just the random clearings had like all three fox cards in the corner and i was just waiting the whole game like when is that fox dominance card gonna be revealed and you told me that you had it the entire game <laughs> i held it in my hand the entire <laughs> game i never got rid of it I never like, Sam, got rid as of soon it. as you saw that it wasn't appearing, you should immediately glare at Kyle Atchison if he's at the table. I thought it was. I did. I suspected he had. Yeah. 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 Uh, he's always ahead of you. Uh, <laughs> number 11. All right. Another general rule here, you guys. Um, you always seed the map with ruins, even when there is no vagabond. Now, you don't have to put the ruin items under there, because, come on, what are you doing? But you do have to put the ruin tokens there. Those building slots don't exist for this game. Quick clarification on the items thing, though. With the Warlord, Warlord yeah. uh, soon to be released, and with the Bandit um, Hireling faction, 
that uh, will will soon be out in the world. Those actually do interact with the ruins and the items contained in the ruins. So there will be a couple of situations where you will want to seed uh, the ruins with the items um, without having the Vagabond necessarily in the game. But always, 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 the maps start with ruins. Another good tattoo opportunity. That's just something I feel like new players might think like, oh, I don't need to do that. But you do. <laughs> you do. Remember just have the word the ruins. ruins on my on my heart. <laughs> uh, ruins is unfortunately five letters, so you can't do the finger tats. But yeah, ruin. Right. I guess that seems very yeah. Ruins <laughs> with a, just one knuckle from the other hand. That's good. Uh, number ten. All right, this one I think is another leader games or just like English language issue. This misconception has to do with the Corvid Conspiracy's ability exposure. Uh, so just to uh, catch everybody up on exposure, exposure is any time on your turn, before drawing any cards in your evening, you may, uh, uh, and as long as you have one piece in a clearing with a Corvid plot, you may gamble a card, all right? Now, the, the confusion with this comes from Anytime before drawing cards in their evening. Often, uh, the misplay here is thinking that you must only expose during your evening phase. But the sentence begins at any time on your turn, right? Right. At any time on your turn before you draw cards in the evening. Essentially, you just can't use the cards you draw at the end of your turn to expose. So essentially, people are mix mixing up the fact that like it says before you draw cards in the evening. That part's the caveat to the ruling, which the, the main part of that is any time on your turn. Exactly. Exactly. This is not going to be helpful, but I, I just had a thought experiment. Like, what if, you know, the Woodland Alliance takes their actions in the evening? You know, they, they uh, the military operations occur in the evening phase. So if the Woodland Alliance takes the ferry somewhere mm -hmm. and they draw a card, that would technically be drawing a card in evening phase. Like, they'd have to probably attempt to expose the plot before they take the ferry, right? I do think that is the case. I think also Charm Offensive might uh, trigger this as well, since that draws you a card in the evening. Interesting. So there oh. are conditions where it, your actions would be cut off, but... Very small. You just have to keep that in mind. That's edge case. It's intended to be written that because most factions do their drawing in the evening, right? That's the way it's intended to right. be referenced. Yeah. And they usually a lot of them do it at the end of their turn. Right. Exactly. Okay. But it's not end of turn because in case players draw the right card right. during their draw card step, they don't want them to be able to use those to expose. That just, yeah. There's also very um, few rules yeah. that have that open-ended of a timing window of, like, at any point, right? There's, like, the... Um, very few. The pass revealing or whatever it's called. The exploring? Is that what it's called? Yeah, that's still once in daylight. Is it daylight? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, the exposure rule is very interesting in terms of its flexibility that way. But it also allows people to, you know, figure out the conspiracy a little bit. Allows them to gather evidence. <laughs> it forces you to gamble. Yeah. All right, number nine. All right, our first of two underground duchy misconceptions here. First one is clearings with tunnels in them are not adjacent to each other. They are just only adjacent to the borough. I think this is just kind of a thing like, hey, I got a tunnel there. Can I just like tunnel to my tunnel? And you can. It just takes two moves because you must go via the borough. Yeah. All tunnels are adjacent to the borough. No other 
uh, factions can put pieces into the burrow. That's just mole zone. So it's actually actually really helpful for the moles because if you recall our movement rules, which we talked about in the first half, um, if the moles always rule the burrow, anytime they're in a clearing with the tunnel, except for if there's a snare, there's going to be a way for them to leave that clearing and uh, sort of escape back into the burrow. Mm-hmm. So sneaky. So sneaky. So sneaky. Just wait to pop up somewhere else. Also, interesting of note, the card called Tunnels allows uh, a faction to uh, move between any two clearings with their crafting pieces. And so even if the moles have the card Tunnels crafted, they can't move from tunnel to tunnel. Right. Okay? So you just never can do that. <laughs> it's just tunnels between certain buildings. It's like a, a basement hallway. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Their uh, tunnels aren't tunnels when they have tunnels. <laughs> So you're saying there's some misconception there? <laughs> <laughs> Number eight. Uh, this one is very personal to me. The underground duchies, uh, way they sway ministers. I played the underground duchy against my friend Juliana, who stayed with me recently in a two-player game. I also played uh, Jake recently, played uh, the molds, and both of you made this mistake. Mm-hmm. And that was that swaying ministers requires you to match cards with clearings that you have pieces in. But the cards and the clearings, they don't have to match each other. Mm-hmm. They just have to match cards to the clearings, mm-hmm. right? So you don't have to use three rabbits to sway a level two minister, right? You can use a rabbit, a fox, and a mouse, assuming you have pieces in those clearings. But I, I know we played this wrong when we first got the moles. We saw matching and we thought they all have to match. Yep. And it's a lot, lot easier. Very easy that. misconception. You don't even have to rule the clearing. No. You don't even have to have a warrior in that clearing. If you have a lone tunnel, that'll work. You don't even have to like that tunnel. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the threshold is very low. It's very, very easy to sway. You just send one, like sad mole often into their own clearing like <laughs> they don't have to be doing anything they just have to exist there it's it's a very low bar listen the it. mayor wants you to be there i know you're alone but just go he will love it <laughs> it's making me think of the moles as like the most kafka-esque faction mm-hmm. like the kind of inscrutability of the higher orders where they're like no we just need you to be there <laughs> like okay, well, what can I do? They're like, no, 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 don't do anything. <laughs> just you be there, and that's good. <laughs> Why are those moles just staring at us, just from out of the ground? Little <laughs> beady eyes are. Uh, it's unsettling. <laughs> Number seven: the Woodland Alliance and spreading sympathy. This one, I think, is another leader whoopsie daisy <laughs> because the phrasing here is. Uh, let's let's read it exactly, because I, I, I feel like this is a hard one to interpret. It says, place a sympathy token as follows, all right? You choose an unsympathetic clearing adjacent to a sympathetic clearing. If there are no sympathetic clearings, you may choose any clearing. Now, that's not what it says on the player board. I'm just looking this up in the law. That is not what it says in the player board. They're way more specific on in the law than they are on the board. Right. Uh, um, Kyle, can you pull up the player board? Because I think it says spread to an adjacent clearing if able. Spread sympathy. During Birdsong. 
any number of times, spend a number of supporters listed on the sympathy track to place a sympathy adjacent to sympathetic clearing, if possible. If possible. Supporters must match the target clearing. So what this leads people to think, and justifiably so, is, hey, there are no rabbit clearings adjacent to me, but I have a rabbit supporter to spend. It's not possible for me to go adjacent. So that means I can place one way on the other side of the board. Hmm. Right? But that's not how it works. You have to spread uh, sympathy uh, adjacent. Unless you have no sympathy on the board, in which case you can go anywhere other than the keep. Right? So I I think this is, this is a very hard one. And I, I've had to correct people on it. And people get mad at me for being right about this rule. And you have a list of people who were wrong about this? And you want to read that now? Yeah, here okay. we go. Saul, <laughs> Greg, Daniel, Jennifer. Okay, up till Jennifer, those were all biblical characters, right? The Gospel of Greg. <laughs> yes, yes. I've been playing Root a long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the spite goes back a long time. <laughs> I can see how this mistake can happen. It's totally understandable. I just, yeah, I think that on the player board, it does seem like this, it should be possible to teleport. But it totally breaks the faction if if that's possible. That's the oh, thing yeah. that it's hard to see too if you're like a new player and you think that's the case. You just don't quite grasp how like game breaking it is for <laughs> if that's possible. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, and it's good. Read the the law of root because it's a lot clearer than that player board initially seems. Um, I'm gonna put an addendum on this one that mm-hmm. has to do with outrage. Yeah. Let's talk about outrage because I think this is. This is a very specific misconception that I've seen in a lot of high-level root games and a confusion that persists. So I want to take this opportunity to really just clear it up on our podcast and be the resource that people are like, okay, is this what the ruling is? I just had to look this up for myself literally earlier today because it's <laughs> it's kind of counterintuitive. So, okay, outrage, right? There's a sympathetic clearing. You move some warriors into it. You trigger outrage. The Woodland Alliance is like, hey, don't come into my clearing with all your warriors. And you got to pay them a card mm-hmm. to their supporters. Um, the forgotten rule is that card goes to your supporters, not to your hand. Oh, yeah. Uh, but the larger question is that there's some cases where warriors are moving, but it's not as simple as like, I the eerie and moving eerie warriors into a a sympathetic clearing. For example, if the vagabond allies with a faction, there's a a rule where the vagabond can move, but they can take allied warriors with them. So for instance, if the vagabond is allied with the cats, let's say, and they move from one clearing to another, they can take some cat meeples with them. Mm You can drag them along with them into the clearing. If that clearing is, has a sympathy in it, who pays the outrage? Can I guess? Yeah, go for it, Jake. The Vagabond. The Vagabond pays. Yeah. Exactly. The Vagabond is moving, and then there's warriors kind of coming along for the ride. So and That's because it specifically says so. the player that moves the warriors, right? Gives them. Yes. Because the Vagabond is exactly. the one moving, even though it's a different player's pieces, they are the player moving them. Yes. This gets back to that, like, root rules are very literal. Yeah. <laughs> this is a great example of that. That'd be really crazy if the vagabond could just force outrage you know (laughs) amongst his allies i know right exactly it'd be such a betrayal 
But for instance, uh, with a card like False Orders from the ENP deck, which during Birdsong you choose a player and then it, as if you were that player, you move their warriors mm-hmm. around. So you can take their warriors and move them into a sympathetic clearing. But that card specifically tr- says you treat yourself as that player. So when they move into a sympathetic clearing, who pays the card, Jake? Whoever moved them, right? So the the player that played False Orders, right? No, it's the player whose warriors get moved. <laughs> this is the thing that blows Wait, my mind. what? So like, yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. So with specifically with False Orders, I don't think there's another thing in the game that acts like this. I think it's only right. False Orders. Uh, but when it comes to False Orders, you are treating yourself as an opponent... And so it is as if that opponent was moving their own warriors into a clearing. And so you're also treating that opponent's hand as if it were your hand. So you don't take the penalty as if you were that player. Because you aren't taking the role of the player. You are just taking the move action of that player. Exactly. Okay, so let's say you hire mercenaries. And it's a clearing where there's only otter warriors and a sympathy. And you use your mercenaries to attack a sympathy. All right, triggering outrage. Uh, who pays the card? The player who had the mercenaries because they're removing the sympathy token, right? Exactly, yes. Right. So <laughs> yep, False Orders is it. the only weird one, right? Yes, False Orders is the weird one. It's the it's the odd one out for sure, specifically because you treat yourself as your opponent. But you should tr- if you treat yourself as your opponent, aren't you treating yourself as the taker of the penalty that that action deserves? right but you're treating you're treating your opponent's hand as your hand in a way so yeah i'm yeah i don't understand the logic in that a little bit can can you well yeah we maybe we need to move on (laughs) maybe there's a logic here i can't i can't explain it i'm just gonna give it to you really quick it's good yeah golden rule 1.1.4 if you are prompted to treat one thing as another the former takes on all properties of the latter all properties which includes hand which includes I supposedly like crafted improvements, probably okay. other things like that. Okay. Uh, specifically in the law of root, it says, for example, if you caused outrage while treating yourself as another player, the other player would give the card. <laughs> so, but that is the weird one. That's the weird one out. And that's a, a thing that there's misconceptions all over the place with good reason, because it's super confusing. Well, yeah. I'm glad it clear. But I have one last example that broke me earlier today, which is, uh, so, okay, let's say that you, are using the new hirelings from the expansion. Mm-hmm. Um, and let's say you're using like the, uh, the eerie dynasties one, uh, the last dynasty. And you know, there's like a little, a bunch of birds and they move around and attack. And let's say they move into a sympathetic clearing. Uh, who pays the card? Cause there's someone who controls them, but in fact, it's the hireling itself that pays the card and because hirelings don't have a hand the woodland alliance player would just top deck this the supporter hirelings and also i can imagine um what's that new card i think it's diplomat where it mm-hmm. means that you are no longer enemies with a player are going to make these kind of edge case scenarios a nightmare of fun <laughs> i don't think they're that edge case though that's the thing is like these happen in games like yeah, this happened true. in our last game so to put the the twisty cherry on top of this awful Sunday. There's one hireling faction that makes this even crazier. <laughs> and that's Woodland Band. Alright, the good old Woodland Band. 
they have an ability that draws warriors from adjacent clearings into their clearing to hear the music. And if that clearing is sympathetic and they draw opponents' pieces into that clearing, who pays the card? <laughs> who pays the card, Jake? The band does? The band does. That's right. <laughs> the band does? The band pays the... M- the band pays the parking fees for everybody at the concert? That's how this goes? Yes, it is. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> they weren't getting paid that much to begin with, so it's kind of a bummer, but... Don't the hirelings overall really stymie the Woodland Alliance, then? I guess it's a balanced thing, right? Because there's more movement on the board with these hirelings out there, and then that would chain their engine up a little quicker than necessary, right? Is that the is that the balance issue there? Basically, I- yeah. I'd also say that no one benefits from the catch-up mechanic probably more than burst factions like the Woodland Alliance. So Woodland Alliance will stay right. behind, right. gain a lot of influence, get some hireling actions, yeah. and then have a big burst at the end. Mm-hmm. That is an interesting component of hirelings of like the meta of who was generally behind will have you know a mid-game mm-hmm. swing at some point. Now. Sorry, cats. number six it's the lizard cult with their outcast changing suit this is a weird one um uh, often i mean every turn as the lizard cult you're going to count up your lost souls and see what's the most common suit and then that will dictate the new outcast suit now if it stays the same suit then that flips to hated right but actually it's if there's no new majority So in the instance that you just have a normal mouse outcast and the next turn when you're evaluating the pile, you have two fox and two rabbit, then it goes to hated mouse, even if there were no mice in the lost souls. Everybody with me? This feels like a this feels like a coded transmission from the Cold War. Like you're trying to tell us where to pick up the bomb and deliver it. I just want to be very careful with what I'm saying. All right. No new majority. Yes. No new majority. I get it. I think I get it. I think I get it. It's like Congress every two years. Birds don't count for the outcast. Too. Right. Birds don't count. Right. Birds are not wild for rituals, and there's only three suits, and none of them are birds. You can't use birds to dictate what you want. Great. Um, I get get that. I don't think we need to elaborate more on that. No. Especially because you said it so clearly. Yes. Number five. All right. Here to the top of the list are all vagabond related. The top (laughs) five biggest misconceptions are all vagabond related. And we're starting off with the states of the items. All right. Items can have... Four states, okay? (laughs) Almost five, almost five, okay? They can be unexhausted, and they can be exhausted, okay? And they can be damaged or undamaged. But then there's also some items that go to the satchel and some items that go to the tracks. Now, this is pretty easy to tell on the board. You know, you just put the items on the tracks and the rest go in the satchel. However... Mm. When you exhaust an item that's on one of your item tracks, like a coins or a T, when you exhaust it, it goes into the satchel. And then when it's unexhausted, it goes back to the track. Now, this can really matter because you might go over your satchel limit, right? Probably another rule we should have mentioned is how easy it is to forget to check your satchel limit. Especially on turns like this, where you like use a quest to exhaust coins or something, it ends up in your satchel, and you weren't you weren't thinking ahead on that. Absolutely, yeah. And so the the thing is, is the the damaged and 
exhausted states are kind of separate things. It's yes. just two separate kind of ideas that can coexist. Mm-hmm. There are two columns with two different rows, and they don't correspond. You could be damaged and exhausted, and you can also be undamaged and exhausted. But you Your characterization be... of this as, like, Cold War dispatches has, like, ruined my brain for the rest of this rules discussion, because it literally does sound like we are just three insane people talking about <laughs> Like, I just imagine our moms bags. calling us down to dinner and tell us to stop talking about rodents and just get down here. Like... <laughs> But there's no the mice sentence. in the lost souls. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to clarify the outcast, mother. <laughs> but here we are. We're in the weeds. I want to get this one right. So, Sam. Yes. If an item is damaged. Yes. And unexhausted. Yes. There's a damaged boot that has not been exhausted. Right. Can you exhaust it? No. You cannot okay. exhaust an item once it's damaged. But if, say, say you've used a boot to move somewhere, yes. and then you've started a battle, and you receive a hit, can you damage an exhausted item? Yes, and I'd encourage yes. you to. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. See, I feel like that kind of makes some intuitive sense, actually. As, as hard as it is to kind of describe without a board in front of you, it makes some intuitive sense. You want to know what doesn't make intuitive sense? Jake? Number four. The Vagabond's ability called an evening's rest is where they go into the forest. They slip into the forest at the beginning of their turn and they skip their whole turn and all of their uh, damaged items become unexhausted and undamaged. Okay. And a lot of times people just refresh everything, but that is actually technically not correct. You only refresh and undamaged your damaged items. So if you had <laughs> like five or six un or exhausted items in your satchel that were undamaged, and then you went into the evening, you would only refresh the ones at the beginning of your turn with your normal refresh step. Why is this this way? <laughs> I don't know. It's the vagabond man. We're only on on four. We got three more <laughs> vagabond rules to cover. I think this is the stupidest rule. Yeah, this is a weird rule. Yeah, I, I, w I was talking with Garrick about this rule, and I don't think I've done that correctly, ever. I think yeah, I know usually I it ends up being the same. I think usually it ends up being the same. Like, how many times do you have that many exhausted items that weren't damaged? The reason you're slipping into the forest is usually all your stuff's been broken anyway. So, it, in practicality, it usually doesn't end up matter, but... But maybe you got damaged early on and then exhausted things, right? Like maybe you exhausted them after you were damaged and therefore when you went to go rest, you could only do the damaged things. <laughs> yeah. And again, you refresh at the beginning of your turn. So it would take a special circumstance to not get everything after you've done an evening's rest. But, but you refreshed a finite amount of things at the beginning of your turn, right? Right. I guess this technically prevents a weird kind of strategy where you exhaust all of your items on one turn and then slip into the forest just to refresh everything to get like one mega yeah. refresh so you can yeah. have like a huge turn following that yeah because there would be no way to really hamstring the vagabond if they were getting away with it right because they just hide in the but forest. it almost feels like that's never a problem for the vagabond 
You know what I mean? It's like, mm. oh, they've exhausted too many items and none of them are damaged. Like, what a what a huge problem that is. Yeah. Like the the fact that it repairs and refreshes damaged items is a nerf that doesn't need to exist. Right. Right. <laughs> All right. Number three. All right. In our top three rules with the Vagabond all have to do with the relationship track. Okay. This is uh, one of the hardest parts uh, for a new player. I think the relationship track, if you guys aren't familiar, go ahead and get out an image so you can really understand yeah. what we're about to get into. Yeah, this here. is difficult. You only gain victory points from aiding when you cross one of the thresholds of an, of, of those statuses going from indifferent to, Friendly? I don't know what the next one up is. <laughs> um, and uh, all the way up to allied, right? So once you cross those thresholds, which for the first one is aiding somebody once in a single turn. And remember, you have to exhaust an item to aid. And uh, on to go up to the next level, you need to do that twice, exhausting two items in the same turn to get to the next threshold. And you only gain the victory points once you're there until you get to the allied status, which means every time you aid, you will get those points. So once you're allied, you could do it one time and you get two points. Right. Exactly. Or, or any number of times on your turn. Yeah. For two points each. But hostility, you when you're hostile with a faction, you get points for removing any of their pieces from battle, right? <laughs> well, that's a great transition, Jake. To number two. All right. So going hostile only happens when uh for removing warriors and this can happen at any point it can happen on somebody else's turn what you could burn down a building and still be friends yes provided that they don't or that you didn't remove any warriors from them this means that the vagabond can go about battling sympathy without Whoa. uh going hostile with the woodland alliance so going hostile only happens when we remove warriors and that can happen on anyone's turn if if kyle is the cats and attacks me as the Vagabond, and I, in defense, you know, happen to remove one of Kyle's cats, now we are hostile. Mm -hmm. Now, infamy, which is when you get points for taking out hostile pieces, that only happens on your turn, and only during battle. For instance, if you have a crossbow, and you strike somebody, a strike is not a battle, therefore you don't get points for removing their warriors. The, the, the thing that is confusing is when... You become hostile with a faction. When exactly does infamy start? Right. So w w let's talk about this, because I, I think this is something that I found very confusing, and I definitely misunderstood for a long time. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're you're good friends with uh, the cats. Um, let's use a different faction. You're good friends with the moles, and you roll up to a clearing with a bunch of moles, and you start a battle, and they're like, Hey, I thought we were friends, and you end up killing two moles. Uh, t can you break down like what happens during that action? Uh, when you attacked the moles as the vagabond? Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. on so your turn. Here, here's what happens. In the same battle, right? You're going against the moles. You roll 2-0 against the moles, okay? Here's what happens. The first mole you kill in that battle means you go to a hostile status with the mole. However, you do not receive points for killing that first mole. But you do get one point for killing the second mole, even though it was the same instance of battle. Because that mole happened second, I guess, you do get a point for that second one. Which, if you watch an old Space Cats Beast Turtles tournament, you can see me learning that in real time. 
Um, it's it's uh, very, very silly here. Garrick says, this is due to stupid timing things. Don't worry about it. Just accept it. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is, is good for this rule. This one is just so weird. Uh, other factions really care about the instance of battle, like um, the molds uh, triggering a price of failure for having their buildings removed. That is just one instance of buildings removed, not for each building removed. So you want to apply that logic here, but don't. Is this on the back of the Vagabond board in terms of the relationship track, or is this in the rule book about how his relationship relationship track works? I think it's mentioned in in a few words on the faction board. Like the faction board's really sparse for clarifying timing on this stuff. It says, must exhaust extra boot to enter hostile clearings. Like, it doesn't say how hostilities occur on the board. Like, that's something you need to read in the rules, right? It is something you need to brush up on in the Law of Root, for sure. It's definitely kind of particular. And even in the Law of Root, they don't do a great job of explaining exactly how it works. But basically, the the way they describe it in the Law is, if you ever remove a warrior of a non-hostile player, the relationship marker immediately... Moves immediately, to the which is the key mm-hmm. there, which is why this whole um, hostile point scoring system works is because it's immediate. Therefore, it's before the next loss of battle, I guess, is resolved. Yeah, yeah. that's the thing that's confusing is like, yeah, most things just Somehow care that about splits a, a casualty step, right? It does. Yeah, it, it implies that there's like an order that things mm-hmm. happen in mm-hmm. that. That level of granularity is not really present in most other things. It is present with the lizards when they lose a garden, uh, when they lose multiple gardens. Yeah. And I think that's the only other example that I can kind of come up with where that kind of thing matters. Well, on that note, let's finish it off with number one. This has to do with being allied with the Vagabond. Uh, once the Vagabond gets to allied status, we talked about how that can really mess with uh uh, outrage and sympathy. The fact that we are moving other people's warriors and battling with them is very strange. Honestly, what I can tell you guys is the best thing to do is as soon as somebody goes allied, which honestly doesn't happen in too many games, and you should avoid letting the Vagabond do that to you uh, by just attacking them on your turn, and if they remove any warriors, then they'll never be allied with you. Um, but I would suggest getting out the rule book as soon as this happens, because like Kyle said, these words like treat um, are going to come into play in a major way. Yeah. So I'll, I'll just read what Allied says. Yeah. Yeah. So if you, as the Vagabond, have like consistently aided a player over the course of the game, if your relationship marker reaches the final space on the Allied track, you are now allied with the player shown by that relationship marker. Their warriors trust you. <laughs> So every time you aid an ally, like we mentioned, you score two victory points as the Vagabond, which can be a great source of points, right? If you have a a hand of five cards, that's a potential ten points right there, right? That's huge. The thing that's crazy is moving with an ally. So whenever you move to a clearing, you can also move warriors of one allied player from your origin clearing to your destination clearing. So, like, you can just, like, drag warriors along with you. That's so crazy. Which is just nuts to think about. The the play that I've seen before is you can take, like, a bunch of moles and move them away from their buildings, crossbow one of the moles, and then go hostile, move back to the clearing with all the buildings, and then just sack it for a bunch of points. Oh, my God. You just murdered a blind man. That's awful. I mean, I just... <laughs> 
just dragged him out to a different clearing and shot him and dragged his companion back. Exactly. No one should trust the vagabond. That's the TLDR of all this. Yeah. <laughs> wow. For real. Uh, I'm reading about taking hits as an ally because you can attack with these warriors, right? So then you're like thinking like, all right, I'm attacking with them and who's taking the damage? Is it the Vagabond? To be clear, you are initiating a battle, but you treat allied warriors as in that clearing as your own. Right. Right. So here's what happens when you have to take hits, okay? In a battle... Where you treat allied warriors as your own, you can take hits by removing allied warriors. Okay? So you don't have to take them by yourself. Okay? However, if you take more hits by removing allied warriors than by damaging items during the same battle, then your allied player becomes hostile. What? Yes. So you have to have as much skin in the game as your ally. Otherwise, your ally will become hostile with you. I mean, that kind of makes sense. Like, it would be even more, like, manipulative to just, like, keep clearing, like, initiate a bunch of battles and assign all hits to just your partner, right? Because that's not a very great yeah. partnership. Kyle, have you ever played a game where this happened? Have I ever played a game where this happened? Sam? Never. <laughs> yeah, me either. <laughs> I've played a lot of games. I've even become allied with players at a certain point. Right. But it's never come to this. <laughs> I've never... I don't think I ever knew about this. Like... <laughs> Right. Yeah, it's such a specific scenario, and the, you know it's it's on the faction board as if this is going to happen like a lot. But truth be told, just never expect it. Yeah, never let this happen. That's the best way to avoid this rule getting wrong. Is just don't let it happen. <laughs> Vagabonds are not naturally good allies, so they'll never treat. Your vagabond friend, like an ally. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Congratulations, gents. We made it through two lists of 12. And I wouldn't, I don't know. I, I feel like as much as these lists are complete, there's more things you both want to talk about. Yes. <laughs> Always. <laughs> well, what are your, there's, I guess, a honorable mentions, Kyle? Is that how we're, we're treating this next section? Yeah, so if we're going to do an encore here, first of all, thanks for sticking around on the pod, you guys. Uh, it's It's been a pleasure to play for you tonight. Um, my uh, my first encore is definitely Ambushes. Yeah. Uh, this just belongs in the misconceptions. Uh, so this is kind of a B-side to the B-side. Uh, ambushes can happen even if the defending player doesn't have any warriors in the clearing. If it's an undefended building, if it's a, you know, if you're the Woodland Alliance and you have a sympathy token out on the map and uh, an ambush card in your hand, you can still use that ambush card to defend that sympathy token, right? You don't need a warrior present in order to ambush. I think that's, that's the whole just point like, of an it, ambush. It's They're easy to hiding in the trees, yeah. right? You don't have to. Exactly, yeah. The, yeah. Uh, now, you can always uh, ambush an ambush to counter ambush, right? But you right. cannot counter ambush somebody's counter ambush. <laughs> yeah, you can nope a nope. Wait, right. no, you can't nope a nope. You can you can bush a bush, but you can't counter that bush with another bush. <laughs> I'm so glad we're here to clarify uh, these things for people. <laughs> I think I understand less now. All right. Sam, what about you? What's your uh what's your what's your tag at the end here? Uh, I think it has to do with mercenaries. Mercenaries gets a little confusing when you're buying the mercenaries from the river folk. 
Um, they count towards rule and battle in daylight and evening only. Okay, so this prevents you from like buying mercenaries at the start of your turn to help with a dominance victory. You can't do that because it only applies during daylight and evening, and your dominance check is at the beginning of birdsong, right? Um, so, uh, and of note, you can't move them. You can't move these uh, mercenaries. They're stuck where they're at. I always thought you at. could. I know. I always thought you could. Yeah. Well, it's stuff like allied that makes me think like allied and mercenaries and then everything's, there's so many little phrases, but like Kyle said, root is very literal. So just pay attention to the exact words that are used. And uh, also of note, the vagabond can't hire mercenaries. Yeah, that's like a, a little thing that they put in parentheses at the end of the rule in the rule book or whatever. And it's so funny because like during a game as the Vagabond, you're always like, ooh, if I could just hire those mercenaries, like I could totally like wipe out a clearing. And you're like, don't, can't do it. But you can buy services. Yeah. By exhausting items uh, and the Riverfolk Warrior puts those uh, payments into their box, uh, puts their own warriors in there. Yeah. Uh, Note that happens before you do the refresh. Ah! So you have to have unexhausted items before the refresh in order to do that. What? Yeah, Jake? it's wild. It rarely happens. Jake's broken. <laughs> Where does it say that the rule factor only applies in daylight? And evening where is that written because this is the thing about these rules is like i'm glad that we're explaining them but i also want to because these are going to come up in people's games and they're going to cite us as the source and we are not the source the rules are the source so what uh yes. where, where can we find that information that that only applies during those two phases yeah so it's under river folk services yeah mm-hmm. uh, in the law okay. route um i think it says it on the board under mercenaries. Yeah, I'm going to find it. And to be it. doubly clear for people who haven't clicked on it already, I'll put a link in the description to the the, the Law of Rue and to, is it Syria? Is that how you pronounce it? Yeah. Um, yep. uh, to, these are indexings of, of rules for for Rue. You can always obviously also consult your own rule book, but these are the most up-to-date with any errata and stuff as well. Okay, so the Riverfolk Company does mention that uh, the mercenary rules only apply, the mercenary rule factor only applies during when? Daylight and evening. Yes, I see that now. Interesting. Okay. Great caveat. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, that was uh, 26 different things that uh, people get confused by, is I think the title of this, right? (laughs) (laughs) a confusing list of things that are confusing (laughs) if you guys want more lists of confusing things come please join us on the good time society discord in the woodland war machine channel we are discussing root there every day including garrick who did write 83 common (laughs) misunderstandings in that channel uh by the time you're hearing this it will be you'll have to scroll up a bit but it is worth reading it is quite the list and it was pretty impressive to see him do all that also we are organizing games there every week um so please Mm -hmm. come and Mm -hmm. and play some root with us please do we've been having a blast doing that with the community and it is growing so thank you for those of you that have joined and for those of you that haven't come on over check us out uh lurk around listen to garrick's rules talk and uh (laughs) listen to us talk about all the fun things there it's not just a pedantic uh, a rules hole by the way it's definitely a great fun <laughs> space to talk about the game this has to be our most pedantic episode of all time right like this has I mean, to be of top the of ones the we've done so far i'm sure we're gonna break it definitely top five yeah <laughs> <laughs>
Um, so please join us on the Good Time Society Discord. Uh, support Good Time Society on Patreon. I'll have links to both of those things in the description of this po- podcast. We will be back next week with another episode of Woodland War Machine where we'll be discussing the birds. The birds? Is that what we're discussing next? Is the eerie dynasties? Yeah. Put your programming hats on <laughs> and get ready for some strategic talk because we're going bird town. <laughs> Kyle, get yes. that words for birds book. At the hot and ready. I'm going to read it cover to cover to prepare. I'm so excited for this one, you guys. The, the Eerie was the faction that made me fall in love with Root. Mm-hmm. Same. Yeah. I think we were all original original Eerists. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, then we'll see you next week. Root, 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 root.